illustrious King Julian, self-proclaimed Lord of the Lemurs, etc., etc. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of King Julian Podcast. I am your host, Julian Owens, as always. And today, I, I kind of feel bad that we haven't done a movie podcast in a long time. And I'm, I'm so confused about it. And we should have started that off for season two, but neither here or there. But for the person who's going to start us off on our first podcast of the second season, we have Brett Leipziger on the phone with us. Brett, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm excited to uh, talk, about, talk about some films here. Specifically, I'm excited to talk about like last year, 2020, because um, as mentioned previously, we talked. I've talked about movies. I've talked about not movies. I've talked about games and TV shows. But my 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 subject that I love so much, we haven't done something for it. So I'm I'm kind of upset about it. And I think that it was a perfect time to do this, specifically with the Golden Globes that happened this past Sunday. And on that note, I guess we could start right there for you, uh, Brett. So let me ask this. In terms of the Golden Globes, because I, I mean, we we had a game about it, which we will talk about later in the podcast. Um, and to be honest with you, I didn't expect the Golden Globes to go the way it did, specifically in certain nominations. Um, overall, let me ask this: Overall, how did you feel about the Golden Globes in general, and just the nominee, the winners of some of the Golden Globes this past year? Um, I mean, it's, it's always one of these like tragic things where the Golden Globes like are a farce, but then they're like the most fun and engaging award show to watch. Um, especially like certainly in like years past when, you know, everybody's just in the, in the tiny little ballroom getting, getting wasted, glad handing. Um, but the farce part is, is, is the kind of the weird part where, you know, this is the award show that really kind of kind of gets us going on the golden derby towards the Oscars. And this is where the front runners are crowned. Um, and so it's, it's always this weird thing where, you know, we have this weird um, Hollywood foreign press body that gets to essentially, you know, announce who the front runners are, you know, for, for the Oscars. Um, in, in terms of the, the show this year, it was certainly like, you know, like any of the other ones, weird and awkward and the timing doesn't work a whole lot um but you know i think this year they gave out some really interesting um awards to to the uh (laughs) that uh you know i certainly wasn't expecting i'll agree with you on that um i think one specific thing about the golden globes um just to give people backsight i for a very long time kind of boycotted the golden globes because as you said like what we're going to get into just a moment with tina fey and amy Poehler, who done a phenomenal job in my opinion as as well as they can with a virtual virtual war season um it was it was very interesting to realize that they're trying to um trying to do this in two separate locations, one in LA, one in New York. And it, you could tell that they were trying to lean on it a little bit. And some moments it worked and some moments you were just like, come on guys, let's roll around for, for a little bit. And then into your point with the Hollywood foreign press with it majority, not like not having any like people of color in there. It was not, it was very interesting to see that some of the awards, which we're going to get to in a moment, I was just surprised that some people won with and others you're just sitting there saying, yep, okay, I figured. And 
throughout the whole entire night, you're sitting there wondering, okay, this is cool. This is all, but what are you going to do to keep us entertained? And a lot of, I would say the format at the Golden Globes this year was a little weird. Besides the two cities, I feel like we jumped in a little quick in terms of our Norman, like our basically our honorary recipient was specifically like with Norman Lear. I feel like that was a little too soon to do that. And then I feel I feel as though I might be wrong. Jane Fonda's um, Jane Fonda's song segment for the uh, System of the Mill Award was a little soon, and we didn't even get a remembrance. That was my right. other thing. I didn't. We didn't get even a remembrance, which I think would have been more important to do, specifically so you could have the time to say, "Hey, these are all the people that lost their lives during COVID, and the Hollywood stars that have lost their lives during the year 2020." We didn't even get that, which kind of just had a whole big question mark on, and I feel like that could have been something they could have said. Absolutely, I agree with you. Um, yeah, it's I. Uh the whole award season um, is just like the Emmys, I think did as good of a job as I think we're yeah. going to see, um, you know, certainly we're going to get the Oscars in, in uh, like mid April, I think. Um, and Steven Soderbergh is producing that show. So what he ends up doing with that <laughs> will be certainly bizarre. I'm a huge uh, Steven Soderbergh fan. So to get a award ceremony um, essentially designed and directed by him is, is certainly uh, interesting, but yeah, the, yeah, like you said, yeah, the, the Globes are certainly uh, have been, and, and certainly this year, yeah, it's kind of hit or miss and, and, and a little off, a little off. <laughs> and w- with that being in mind, um, was there any highlight moments that you had with the show? Um, any awards that you thought were interesting that some people picked up? Anything like that before we get into the topic at hand about our moves in 2020? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the, like, the one... Um, I, I certainly have my blind spots for 2020. Um, so I can't really speak to Ma Rainey's black bo- uh, bottom yet, which I want to, um, I want to get around to the United States versus uh, Billy holiday. Um, the one that I was super stoked to see uh, was Daniel Kaluuya and getting that for Judas and the Black, black Messiah. Messiah. Yep. Okay. Um, and then, I, and then was it poetic justice that, his mic didn't work at, at first and they had to like cut away from him and then they were able to get him back on and then he delivered just a great, great speech. Um, I also hope that, you know, 20%, maybe 25% of the population that was watching the Golden Globes went, holy shit, he's British. Um, but I, I love that movie and his performance in that is just, he's a powerhouse. Yes, I'd agree. I would completely agree. Um, that, that one, I'd, I put it as my dark horse for it, and we we did a spreadsheet. Um, Brad and I did a spreadsheet for our podcast that we're going to do for a week from now. But it was so interesting because I was sitting there thinking Daniel Kaluuya killed it as Fred Hampton, absolutely killed it as Fred Hampton. So I hope that he received it, and they did that. Now, with Bill United States versus Billy Holiday, I watched that because that was released on Hulu on the 26th of February, mm-hmm. and um, it's the best thing I can say for it. So if you watch <laughs> any Lee Daniels films, um, more recently, like The Butler, or if you watch the show The Empire, if you are into that, Brett, it's mm-hmm. it's just it's it's trying to be theatrical and very 
I feel like he's trying to be like uh, who who's the guy who directed the Great Gatsby? Oh, Baz Luhrmann. He's he's trying mm-hmm. to be in the Baz Luhrmann Ryan Murphy okay. kind of typical way of doing things, and it kind of bothered me with United States versus Billy Holiday. Sorry, it's mini rant that you have Andre Day who. I mean, absolutely killed that performance as Billie Holiday. She did a phenomenal job. But everything else around it was just all over the place. And you'll see what I mean if you decide to watch it in Hulu. And I mm-hmm. I was just, just sitting here thinking, Lee Daniels, you go from directing Precious, which was a, almost a direct, I mean, a Best Picture nominee, what well, was the Best Picture nominee, to what what is this like what what <laughs> is united states versus billy holiday and besides the point andre carried that film and you'll see what i mean that's the only reason why i kept watching because andre did a phenomenal job um now the two awards for me that kind of was not a head scratcher but wow you beat out hamilton was borat and subsequent movie film for the second movie, I mean, for the second movie for Best Picture, um, Comedy or Musical, and Sasha Baron Cohen winning for Best Actor in the exact same category. I was I was surprised that they went that way, just because, of course, I was expecting the Hollywood Foreign Press not to try to dabble into being a little political, but they did it anyway, which, interesting enough, but over Hamilton, though? Well, let me say Hamilton is not a film. <laughs> it is. I agree. I agree. It's, it's, a sta- it's a stage play. Um, I definitely though. I like. I have that in my letterboxed uh, list of 2020 rankings. Um, I always felt weird having it in like my top <laughs> ten or my top five or my top twenty because it's it's just a play. It's a play that's like, in, we, on film. Exactly. Yeah. They 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 didn't do anything different or or new or unusual with the filming of it. So. I, I, I'm weirded out that the, the foreign press even decided to honor it with a with a nomination. Um, otherwise, like that category is really thin. I mean, you know, you're looking at Hamilton, music, uh, Palm Springs, and the prom. I think a lot of the the uh, film Twitter film nerd crowd, I think, wanted uh, Palm Springs. Palm Springs I, yes, I, yes. I, I don't think that had a chance there. I think you you give an award to Sasha Baron Cohen twice because you want him to give a speech. And he certainly delivered. He gave her a speech. All right. He definitely did. Yeah. And so I was just going to ask for me, well, I would say this and I agree with you. And I, I felt very weird when I watched Hamilton in July and I sat there and said, should this even be on my letterbox? Should this even be in my film movie list? Cause as you mentioned, as somebody who watches films, I, I can't, think of putting you know one of my favorite shows like a raising innocent i can't put in feel like cats <laughs> when i talk about 2020 cats we're talking about uh no 2019 cats we're talking about like the actual production stage production of cats they did the exact same thing for or any of the other big musical productions they've done that for i just sat there and was thinking are these really films or are they just <laughs> broadways just filmed right so you agree i i think that's why i put it lower on my list on my top 20 list which we're going to get to in a moment so i agree with you on that but i hate to say this and i i feel like this way with a lot of people i don't know if you agree brett but in terms of the musical comedy films that we had received besides our bias palm springs was the best option to be honest with you Andy andy mm-hmm. sandberg did a phenomenal job 
Um, and it was it was a very great film. I had either him or Sasha winning Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy, and surprisingly enough to get it, Sasha. But in terms of the films, I don't understand why music was in there. I, I will yet I will not watch uh, music <laughs> <laughs> until like I need to just roll through 2021. Um, and Hamilton, we already talked about. And then, oh, and prom, I hate to say it again, how I feel about Lee Daniels. Ryan Murphy, please stop. What are you doing? Um, <laughs> I, I just don't understand. So I don't know. I really wish Palm Springs would have got that nomination or got that win, but, you know, to each his own. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, let me ask this. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to get about with the Golden Globes? Oh, side note, also really quickly, Jane Fonda's speech she didn't even like and that's one thing i will say about jane fonda and watching her throughout my like through the little time that i was able to watch little jane fonda she took her platform and didn't even think like not that many people she said thank you for giving me the award and just went on her whole activist rant which again beautiful absolutely beautiful um besides that i feel like it was an okay golden globes it was just like yeah this is musical typical anything like that so any final mm-hmm. remarks any final things you wanted to talk about with the golden globes no i mean i do think like even as much as we bemoan the golden globes <laughs> they still did just stamp that nomadland is the film to beat this year like yes they and they still did that and i like i think we're gonna you know be going through that for the next you know eight weeks until we hit the Oscars. But I think, you know, Nomadland is the front runner right now. And I was just going to say, sorry, sorry from Twitter. I know you're going to get mad at me or my film podcast nerds. You're going to get mad at me. <laughs> I haven't watched Nomadland yet. I, I was supposed to watch it this weekend, which again, we could talk about that in the upcoming podcast next week about with uh, Matt and talk and, um, and the other podcast with the armchair fits, but we're not there yet. I want to watch No Man Land, but how everybody in film Twitter and all my friends who went to see this film have gravitated toward it and has been giving me raving reviews about it. As we both did, we both picked Chloe Zhao and Nomad Land to win Best Director and Best Picture, which I agree mm-hmm. with you is going to segue into the Oscars this, um, this year. I'm only interested, though, to see which I thought was going to be Hollywood Foreign Press, but maybe the Oscars will, will give um, Jack Fincher's posthumous Oscar as well. Maybe, I don't know. I, I think Hollywood loves talking about Hollywood, which I thought was going to be a thing for Hollywood Foreign Press, but <laughs> obviously not. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that rolls into the next eight weeks because I don't remember when the Oscars, I think it's, like you said, mid to late April, one of the two. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to yeah. be interesting to see how this kind of segues into where we're going to be for the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Now, speaking of segues, we're going to go straight into films of 2020. Um, negating award season, negating movies that we think are like award winning or anything like that. We're going to go into our favorite movies and our favorite uh, just 2020 in general and i think brett and i both you and i can agree just a weird year of fear for films in 2020 and i think we talked about this before in matinee talk and if the art chair fits we both were very excited for 2020's film slot this year and most of the films that we got weren't the ones we were looking for so with that being in mind what was your overall 
consensus of the films that you see in 2020? I mean, you don't want, you never want to be that guy that it's just like, this was the worst film year in history. <laughs> but I mean, this was the worst film year in history. And like, there's a great reason for that. Like, there's a reason that it had to be. Um, but it's just like the, the, I think we had a lot of really interesting, those like kind of small mid-tier, very low budgeted films. A lot of interesting stuff came out, came out of that world. Um, yeah. um, some stuff like uh, Possessor or um, Shithouse, uh, Promising Young Woman. Um, really, really good, interesting films. But I mean, those films are in my top 15 this year. Um, in, a, in a more full year, my top 10, you know, there's, there's two blockbusters. Yeah, two blockbusters in my top 10. Usually I'm, I'm, I'm a populist when it comes to film and I would have seven blockbusters in my, or when I say blockbuster, you know, a film that hits 4,000 screens opening weekend. Um, right. There's just a lot of, you know, so there wasn't those like huge, big, huge crowd pleasers this year. Um, it's just a lot of, you know, smaller, interesting films that you can get away with doing a more experimental release, uh, which essentially all of 2020 was <laughs> these, all of these major corporations trying to figure out how to release a film in 2020, which it's, <laughs> it's clear that none of them, none of them really figured it out until the end of 2020. Um, so yeah, it, you know, just a real, so yeah, and then with that said, yeah, then it's, it, unfortunately, I, I do feel like it's a little bit of a, a lackluster year just when you compare it to, to years past. You, uh, so I would agree with you to an extent for you because my thing is, is 2020, I will agree, it was just a very weird year for, for being able to, like, not I wouldn't say navigate, but it was a weird year to be able to watch films, right? So as we mentioned at the beginning of the year, we had, what do you call it? What, what, what would we call it? Um, we had all the films that we assumed were going to come out, right? We had a few blockbusters, not blockbusters. We had a few movies here and there that we were like, okay, yeah, cool. I'm interested to see that, right? And then, mm -hmm. like, as you mentioned, we kind of had to redirect our way to being able to watch it on certain subscription sites right and i think that mm. one of the ones which we'll get to a moment that kind of learned how to do this easily out of everybody else was universal studios mm -hmm. um universal came in and basically said hey we understand that we can't um do this really we can't basically get you guys to go to theaters but here's what we can do for you right we're gonna give you our movies that were supposed to come out and then here's our release form right not release but here's our um why am i blanking on the word oh yeah here's our movies on twenty dollars that you can rent and then if you want to buy you pay an extra five dollars and so to your mm -hmm. point i feel like a lot of movies kind of took all of their big heavy hitters that came out in 2020 and just released them. And with that in mind, I wouldn't say that this was the worst film year of 2020. I mean, that I've seen, I mean, I can talk about 2013. Um, I feel like 2014 was a terrible year. Only like five or six movies I could think of in the back of my mind. I'm like, yeah, those were some good movies. But like early 2010s for me was just like, a, we're, we're twiddling our thumbs. I think, and this is sad to say, I think 2020s, list of films that came out and were released either streaming through theaters or anything 
could have rivaled most of the movies that we had decade in the years that we've had in previous memory. Not 2018, not 2019, because obviously I think those are some of the best years of film we had in, in a very long time because the list was phenomenal. But I think with the early 2010s, it couldn't combat with that. But as you mentioned, I I was interested in how things worked out and worked well with what was going on with that. And for instance, again, a movie that I would probably would have never spent money on, to be honest with you, was Shithouse. Um, phenomenal movie. I recommend anybody to go watch that film because that was a phenomenal film, but I probably wouldn't have been able to watch that in theaters. Promising Young Woman, I probably would have still watched in theaters, sent Marta to watch in theaters, but unfortunately, because theaters shut down and I can only watch them now, recently, I, I haven't been able to. But yes, like I agree with you on that notion. And so... <sighs> Let me ask this then, because we, we've talked about independent films have basically, like you said, has, I'd say, got some highlights from 2020. What movie, it doesn't have to be an indie film, but what movie surprised you the most in 2020? Surprised me the most? Oh, that's, a, that's a fun question. Um, like, one that, like... This would have been on the, you know, if we would have had film festivals this year, this would have been on all the festival circuits. And I think it was on the digital versions of it. Um, but a film like Possessor, um, that that just knocked me out. Um, Brandon Cronenberg um, really <laughs> essentially just doing one of his father's films. It feels exactly. like, it feels like he's, <laughs> he's like, you know, uh, just, just, right, just right in line with, with kind of, what I fell in love with, with um, David, David Cronenberg's films growing up. Um, and so, yeah, so that one, that one knocked me out. And that makes like such a, I think like a fun, interesting, like companion piece to Tenet. Um, I think those two films work really well together. <laughs> okay. um, I, you know, certainly um, I think a film recently that, that I just got so into was One Night in Miami. Okay. Um, okay that you know a real small little production but it had probably been 20 years i, I would guess maybe you know somewhere along those lines uh since i'd seen malcolm x uh and so like right after one night in miami i was able to fire up on hbo max malcolm x and watch that um so like that that gave me a, a really just just great like kind of like three-day process because i certainly didn't watch malcolm x all in one city because that movie was <laughs> so long very dense yes very um, and then allow me to monologue here one more that uh i think is just such a product of the year that we were in was the horror film host um that was released through shutter <sighs> i wish i'd watch um, okay scared the pants out of me uh came out just at a perfect time uh clearly because it, it's it's just um essentially four women uh four or five women getting together uh in in a covid world in our in our uh setting uh and having a seance and it's just super effective it's like 72 minutes or something so it's like that really like interesting length of like well is this just a long like made for TV movie or is this an actual movie? Who knows? I, I consider it a movie and um, kind of that length then also I think speaks to kind of what I would have hoped more filmmakers took quarantine as the ability to kind of just 
push out some interesting content right uh, right now. Instead, I think you saw more of the filmmakers kind of just kind of buckle in a little bit more and say, okay, well, how can we just figure out how to do our larger productions safely? Uh, but host host was absolutely great and really surprised me. See, I need to watch the host. I haven't watched that yet. Um, it, I know I can rent it right now on Apple TV. I, I want to. So I, that's something that I want to get into. Um, to your point with One Night Miami, I'm going to hold that thought. I have to hold that thought for now, but I agree okay. with you. It's a phenomenal film. It's, I enjoy it. Mm. My surprise, well, I have two surprises. You did take one of mine because The Possessor, I did not think Cronenberg uh, was going to do a phenomenal job in watching it literally makes me feel like I'm watching a David Cronenberg film. And I was just sitting there like, and I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how you know how to make a movie just like your dad, but damn, is it good? It makes me feel creepy at the same time. I love it. Yeah. I love Mm -hmm. it. And so The Possessor was one of my favorites. Two more for you. Um, Actually, three more. Um, Typical one, I think everybody kind of have an agreement on if you've seen it before before. The world shut down with Sonic the Hedgehog. I did not expect <laughs> Sonic to be as good as it was, because to be honest with you, seeing the original rendition of Sonic made us all think, yeah, this movie's going to be shit. It's going to be any other regular video game movie. And it surprised me. It really did surprise me. It was very entertaining. Yeah, of course, the story is not going to be there. Of course not. But you're there to see Sonic. And the banter between him and Jim Carrey, who does a phenomenal job as being a uh, out of uh, wanky Dr. Robotnik or Dr. Eggman for kids who are younger was really good. And so I enjoyed that a little bit more than I thought I would. Um, so I'll say that. But the two films that I was really like, damn, if this was a whole nother world and I loved this horror movies as much as I did, both of them would have probably been higher on my list. The Lodge and um, <laughs> oh my God, I, why am I blanking on the other movie? Uh, the, is it not The Visit? Uh, where all the four kids, when there's four people going into um, a vacation. Yes, the rental. Thank you. I (laughs) I blanked for a moment. Both of those movies, again, came out in a time that I think heightened up the horror reality of it, right? Specifically the rental. Mm -hmm. Um, And we talked about this on um, Matinee Talk and the Armchair Fits. Again, we're going to put list down on the podcast so you can hear this later. But the rental was so damn good on how to basically make you feel like you're in a situation where you can't escape from it right and i i just think that it was casey affleck if i remember correctly who directed the film yes casey affleck he did a phenomenal job no 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 no, no i'm wrong dave franco dave Dave franco Franco. james franco i know it was the younger brother (laughs) (laughs) sorry but dave franco did a phenomenal job as basically making it feel like you're sitting there wondering what the hell's going on in a very secluded space, even though the quote-unquote Airbnb style or the vacation home style place that they were in was big, wide open in the forest. And you just, you felt secluded, you felt isolated, claustrophobic in that whole setting while one dude is literally just tearing them off, peering them off one by one. And I feel like the same thing with The Lodge and sorry to bring PTSD for some of us, it was a great film to watch again during the winter storm <laughs> two weeks ago. <laughs> just to be like, yeah, this shit's crazy. And just seeing a girl go demented dealing with PTSD in herself and herself um, going from a cold and trying to learn how to navigate her life and having these kids be assholes to her the entire thing. Again, watch both movies. Phenomenal. Just giving you very quick synopsis. And having 
them play with sound design and playing with specifically practical effects, specifically in the lodge. Um, besides Alicia Silverstone getting whacked off in the beginning of the movie, that's we're not going <laughs> to talk about that. But other than that, I those four films kind of set me, made me sat there and think, wow, this this is interesting. I'm I'm pretty digging it. Again, they're average. Don't get me wrong, they're average, but I feel like the heightened sense of what happened with COVID and specifically for Texans in the winter storm, the lodge would have been a phenomenal movie. And for any of us who does vacations with like Airbnb style, like rentals and thing like that, the rental would definitely make you think twice for a little bit, make you think twice about being able to like lodge and things of that nature. What, and I think that speaks to something too, that the studios were able to do this year, which is release horror movies. Like, They, you know, it's whether they're horror movies that, you know, they thought they could turn profit on or the, just a lot of horror movies that they were just like, hey, this is an easy happens. sell. Every, yeah. Everybody likes watching horror movies at home anyway. Um, and it was like a really, really solid uh, year for horror. I mean, yeah, on top of um, Lodge and Rental, uh, also, you know, uh, Gretel and Hansel, um, Underwater, Freaky, The Hunt, uh Come to Daddy, and one that I'll, I'll I think I'll I'll leave for a future talk here in a, in a bit. But it was okay, just a, yeah, okay, a, a great a great year for horror. Okay, all right, I think I know what movie we're going to talk about, but I'll, we'll hold that thought. All right, perfect. And before we get into that topic, because I think this this is going to be a very diff not different kind of list, but a, a great perspective on movie lists in general. Um, one thing I just uh, we we got to talk about before we get to our list. Let me ask this. Because I think it's going to be a too easy of a question. Is there any movie that was a disappointment to you? Or at least you were like, wow, this was a shitty movie. Or this is the <laughs> worst movie I've seen in 2020. Did you have any movie that made you feel that way going into it? I'll, I'll say, I mean, coming out of Tenet, one, it was just weird. Like, I, 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 really? I, masked, I masked up, went in there, watched Tenet. Um, I came out and I was like, I don't know about that one. <laughs> um, okay. I had, I had a second screening of it where it, that film just cemented itself to me and, and is in my top 10. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, certainly Tenet, um, you know, I, I think Onward, um, the first Pixar movie released this year, didn't didn't hit for me as much as I felt like those movies can and tend yes. to do. I agree. Um, and then I, I'll just say, then the the biggest one was was probably Wonder Woman eighty four. Um, I, I thought it was just a, a complete misfire. Can we be honest for a moment? I'm Absolutely. trying to justify Wonder Woman eighty four for so <laughs> long, and I was in denial. I'm gonna let my, I'm gonna let everybody know on podcast. I was in denial about Wonder Woman eighty four for a very long time. I sat there and think, you know, this movie isn't bad. It's a comic book movie. Yeah, it's not bad. Juliet, don't don't think like that. It's not bad. And I watched it a second time. I watched it on Christmas okay. with my brothers, and my brothers were like, "Julian, this movie is shit." I was like, "No, it's <laughs> it's not bad. It's, it's not bad." And going into Christmas, not Christmas, uh, New Year's Eve, watched it again. Okay, I see where people are getting mad about it, but I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's bad. And then watched it two more times after that. This fourth time, <laughs> like a week and a half, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, I sat there and said, this movie is shit. 
this this movie really is not is bad. I don't I I don't get it. The ramifications, the story just doesn't make sense. And I feel like Wonder Woman eighty four didn't listen to itself from Wonder Woman, which was the biggest problem for me. I think we both can agree. The third act is just just falls all over the place, right? <laughs> and don't get me wrong, Kristen Wiig did a phenomenal job as playing what she can with with Cheetah. But come on, come on, guys, we could have done better with that last fight, like absolutely better than that. <laughs> and with Pedro Pascal being your run of the mills eighties bad guy that just wants it all and just yeah, I'm. <clears throat> I, I'm on the bandwagon now. It is a disappointing movie. Just letting people know. But that wasn't, I don't think that was my worst, my my movie that I was just really most disappointed in. I think, no, because it can't be New Mutants because I always thought New Mutants was going to be shit. Um, <laughs> to be honest. Oh, there it goes. To be honest, even though I should have saw the writing on the wall, I was kind of disappointed. I was very upset with Artemis Fowl. And I makes it like, okay. I thought Artemis Fowl was going to be an average movie. And to be honest, I don't know if I'm on this bandwagon by myself or not, but John Carter isn't as terrible as everybody makes it out to be. It's average, very average, but it's not a terrible movie. I wouldn't make a franchise out of it, but it was like a, okay, yeah, I see what you were doing. That's cute. It's like Jupiter Ascending in my opinion. It's like, oh, okay, mm. I, I, I get it. And I thought Artemis Fowl would be right there. I felt like Artemis Fowl would be right in that Jupiter sitting um, John Carter kind of realm for itself. And I was going to say, okay, if they get enough franchise, enough people to go and look into this on Disney Plus, maybe it won't be so bad. Watched it. Brett. <laughs> Brett. I, I don't think I have I drunk so much trying to finish the movie. That's how mad I was with Artemis Fowl. Um, I breezed over what I try to do with most movies that I don't really know about, like with uh, young YA novels. I try to breeze through the story, get some big plot points to see where it's going and see if I'm going to pick it up or not and buy it, right? But it was interesting enough for me to go, yeah, let me see what Disney got going for it. Watched it the first 10 minutes. Oh, we're in for a ride. Oh, we're in for a terrible ride. Terrible exposition, reiterating exposition, making it feel like it was a video game throughout through and through. I said, oh, this is this is Prince of Persia bad. Like <laughs> this is Dragon Ball's evolution bad. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Okay. And I'll say that was my disappointing slash one of the worst movies I saw last year. I was I was very disappointed in what Disney did with Artemis Fall. I I I uh I definitely got wind of your reaction to Artemis Fowl and uh, never, never, never came back to it and never, probably never will. <laughs> I will say, if you have an hour and a half to two hours to see Josh Gad try to be himself in a movie <laughs> and then have some kids try to give some British accent, yes, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I don't recommend it at all. Like how Johnny felt about, was my, my co-host for Manet talking, Brett's co-host for If the Iron Chef Fits, how he felt about Robin Hood back in 2019 with Taryn yeah. Edgerton, same failing. Same failing, <laughs> so you understand. Um, yeah. And with that on top, let's let's get it on with our top five movies of 2020. Um, I don't know if you have any honorable mentions you want to discuss or anything like that. Did you have some honorable mentions you might have before we get to it? You know, I, I think I, I've woven those in, but um, Tenet, okay. Palm Springs, Possessor, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Those were kind of my my next my 
next tier from from my top five. All right, see, now we got to be technical in a moment. All right. <laughs> so because Judas and the Black Messiah was supposed to release in 2020 but got pushed to 2021, are we still counting it in 2020 or we, we, in 2021? We, we haven't opened up this can of worms yet, but uh, <laughs> my, my understanding is that any film released until the end of February is considered for the Academy a, 20, a 2020 film. Oh, now you opened it up a can of worms, sir. I'm talking about <laughs> calendar year. Okay, I see what you're doing. Ooh, you know what? For my list, I'm going to do just calendar year. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to just do calendar year because that, that could get very hairy very quickly. <laughs> On that note, I'm going to let you still do that. But for me, I would say my highlights, are, I gave out three films that were my highlights. Would you consider Bad Education a film? Yeah, it's an HBO. It's an HBO movie. Yeah, I'll give it. I'll Super confusing there, but yes, it, yes. absolutely. Bad <laughs> Education with Hugh Jackman, beautiful. And I think it resonates with me because uh, my hometown had an abysmal situation when I was graduating high school. So I think that's why Close to Home, but it was Hugh Jackman's performance, phenomenal. Watch it on HBO mm-hmm. Max, beautiful. If you haven't seen it, guys. Um, I won't talk about it because I know we're going to talk about it in a moment. Boy State. Oh, beautiful movie. I've, we're gonna, like I said, I'm, we're going to hold my thoughts on that. We're talking about, I know we're going to talk about that in a moment. And another movie was The Five Bloods. Um, mm. I feel like, and I might again tumble some feathers right now, but Spike Lee, I think, did a better job with The Five Bloods than he did with Black Klansman a couple of years back. That I think that's, a, some people are going to say that's a stretch, but for me, the way that he directed all of these men who were back in their prime back in the 80s, 90s, and did a beautiful film about what happened in Vietnam and just the PTSD that came with that. Phenomenal, beautiful script. Wish I hope it gets nominated again for the Oscars. I know it's not going to win, but mm-hmm. it was a fantastic script nonetheless. So yeah, that's that was my honorable mentions. Love, love, love the Five Bloods. Um... And, and yeah, speaking to Klansman, like Black Klansman feels more commercial. I mean, it's, it's yes. a, you know, a studio film, whereas it, uh, The Five Bloods is, is Netflix and it, it's like Spike's not getting a whole lot of notes there and, <laughs> and can really dive in. And yes. I, like I said, I, I went through went through Malcolm X recently and, and it's just like, man, Spike is, Spike's the man. Like when Spike <laughs> gets to do what he wants, like his films are just so damn powerful. But when he gets commercialized, you get you can definitely see it's being commercialized. Absolutely. Yeah. So I agree with that. And with that in mind, Brett, what is your number five? So number five. So this gets into like list making. So okay. we're talking number five. Um, so I want to put in there something smaller, something interesting, something, you know, that the kind of undiscovered. And for me, that's the vast of night. Um Okay, it is on. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, essentially, it feels like a um, a Twilight Zone episode. Uh, it you know stuck in the fifties um, with real snappy uh, dialogue. Oh. Uh, two lead performances that you just kind of follow around the whole night, and essentially, it's one of those kind of something um, goes bump in the night type of stories. Um, First time filmmaker uh, Andrew Patterson cannot wait for this guy to make his next film and and hear what what he's doing next um you know there's i think there's been a lot of talk after the vast of night came out of like is is andrew patterson going to get 
75 million dollars to do his next movie or is it or is he gonna you know try to stay small and do like another like five to ten million dollar movie um i this is just certainly a a a voice to watch in the future i'll completely agree with you on that because vast night was for me number 11 um but you're right it does remind me of those okay these are like you know, urban stories, urban myths that you hear about at night and being able to, Mr. Pe- I mean, Andrew Peterson, being able to navigate that with the 50s setting, 50s or 60s, one or two, still yeah. almost very long time ago, um, settings with radio and learning how to use the radio and things like that. It was very interesting and very thought provoking. I love the dialogue. That's one of my highlights of the movie. Uh-huh. The dialogue was beautiful so yeah i'll agree with you on that vast night was a phenomenal movie if you haven't seen it yes it's on amazon prime um my number five i don't think you have it on your list i might be wrong the invisible man it's on it's on my list yeah i so uh i i have it i have it at number three uh let's let's, let's go ahead and talk that. about oh, you hold hold for that. yeah let's hold on for that. okay love it but we're, we're gonna talk about that so on that note what is your number four uh, my number four is is Nomadland, uh, which okay. <laughs> again, I, I, are we going to consider it twenty twenty one? It's it's certainly competing <laughs> in the twenty twenty Oscars. Um, but I, one of those movies where you we had heard for a long time that this is going to be a front runner. Um, I had never watched any of Chloe's Chloe Zhao's movies. Um, it's something that's that certainly so, certainly on my agenda now. Um, but one of those movies too, where like you have some of that trepidation where it's like, I don't really know that I'm interested in the setting and these characters. I don't really know that like this film's going to like, you know, stack up to my expectations. And the third big thing is like, I knew that this was an important film and I knew that I'm just going to be sitting there watching it on my, on my couch, fighting the urge to want to check my phone. Um, This film just knocked me out. Um, Francis McDormand has um, such energy and feels so authentic in a world that is authentic um okay she gives off real strong mom energy i think so there's always that there too um but it's just a beautiful movie to watch just the having just these characters in these wide vistas these wide wide shots um and it just the movie takes its time telling its story um and yeah i'll, I'll leave it at that okay see i'll, I'll again I want to watch a Chloe Zhao film. I think it's going to be Nomad Land when I be able to watch it on Hulu soon. Um, I really want to watch it. Something that's on the back of my mind. It's actually, I think it's the next movie that I'm going to watch. Yeah, it's going to be the next movie that's on my list right before, right after. I mean, no, no, before, right before coming to America because I got to see if Eddie Murphy can pull it off, even though I don't think so. Got, got to. <laughs> <laughs> and so with that, I think my number, my number four is going to be Soul. I don't know if you have hmm. soul on your list yet. I, I don't. I don't have it in my in my top five. Okay. So for me, like Brett said, I, I was sitting here watching, you know, onward in February, late February of 2020, thinking, okay, this has one good heartfelt scene. It reminded me of the good dinosaur a little too much. Like it, it was good, but it wasn't p- top-tier Pixar, right? right? And you know, sat here watching soul. For the third time, I want to say a month ago, I sat there and I still felt the same as I did watching it on Christmas. It was it's just a beautiful film. Pete Doctor and Kim Powers did a phenomenal job with this film. Um, and I think 
just gonna say this now i think one of the biggest criticisms about the movie is that there's no through line for it like there's no seamless point a to point b for the movie and i think that was the point of soul at least for the adults for kids yeah you can argue about that with the kids but i feel like this movie was more intended for an adult audience or a mature audience to realize that you know life doesn't need to just have meaning with what you do but life just needs to have meaning in general and with jamie fox and um why am i blanking on her name that quickly um what, what's her name oh my god tina fey. So yes tina fey why am i so terrible right now him <laughs> jamie fox and tina fey's banters between each other and basically going on this journey together was so beautiful and so amazing to watch and Again, I can't talk about uh, the writing is just phenomenal. I'm, a, as you can tell, I'm a very, very heavy on writing. I don't know why, but that's just me on my films. I love great writing, and it was just very enjoyable, very, very luscious. And it was a world, it was a movie about world building that really didn't need the world building, but it did it anyway, and it did it in a fantastic job that I think. And no offense, not a lot of Pixar films are doing well with anymore. And this did a phenomenal job with that. So with all that being said, I love Soul. And that's why it was my number four. Uh, yes, I, I absolutely love Soul. And it, it's, it's, it's that crazy balancing act that Pixar can do where, like, yes, like people in their 20s and 30s and 40s can connect with it. Um, I remember, you know, on Christmas Day watching this with my brother-in-law, uh, uh, and sister and we're you know we're like an hour in and then eventually like my little nephew who's um I think he was eight or nine at the time comes down sees us watching it is like oh it's a cartoon heads up to a different to a different bedroom to go watch it by himself and I'm just like I'm like I, I, I wonder if he's like going to be into this like we we're an hour in and I'm like this is this is heavy man like this is heavy and uh we finish we finish our screening I head upstairs and he is just locked in Eating on it, up? it okay all right didn't 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 move didn't really want to like say like what's up to me like was just like I, I'm, I'm watching a movie right now and i was like that that's, okay. that's the power of pixar <laughs> that is straight up the power of pixar and uh, again if they continue making movies like that the way that they're doing i think it'll be fine i'm surprised <laughs> to see what luca will be about because we i don't know if you saw the trailer that just came out this past week it's interesting yeah. i just want to know where they're going with that but um, yes I, I was very like, kind of, yeah, what the fuck's going on with this trailer? <laughs> what, what are we doing, Pixar? What are we doing, Pixar? But all right, we'll see. We'll see in June. Yeah. But yeah. with that in mind, let's go into your number three and my number five pick, which was The Invisible Man. Um, yes. Phenomenal movie. Let's 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 see it that way. We want to I I don't know if you... You've seen Upgrade. I, we've, we've talked about mm -hmm. Upgrade before. And yeah. watching him do that and then get out of the horror movie franchise that was, um, you know, Saw and being able to be his own person with James Wan and basically spreading out to do his own thing as well. I was interested with Upgrade. Upgrade was one of the movies in 2019. I was like, okay, I see what you're doing. I, no, was it 2019? 2018, sorry. It was 2018. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I see what you're doing. This is interesting. Invisible Man blew it out of the water. I think the best taking, best uh, modern day version of what you could do with the Invisible Man. Elizabeth Moss does a phenomenal job. Lee Wanell does a phenomenal job with tracking, directing, acting, and 
his I call them the Warnell shots where he basically hooks you up to the hill <laughs> and just lets you go with everything that's in the action. Beautiful. And I I'm gonna let you talk about it because this is your number three. But yeah, loved, loved Invisible Man. No, I mean I'll I'll piggyback off of off of that last point, which is like it took him all of two films to have a a camera movement essentially like patented his name. Like <laughs> yes. it's a Warnell move. Like that is like you expect those shots from him now. Um and yeah, I think with Invisible Man, I mean, this was a film, um, I'm certainly somebody that's like always, you know, reading all the pre-production news, you know, who's signing with what film, you know, what actress is getting attached to what project. Um, and so coming off of our upgrade, Lee Winnell was just one of those now directors. I was like, cool, this mm, guy has vision, he exactly. can direct. And so then like, yeah, like seeing like, oh, he's going to do an Invisible Man with, with Blumhouse. Awesome. I'm, I'm there for it. Oh, it's going to star Elizabeth Moss. Like, okay, so okay. it's so they're they're kind of inverting kind of what what we expect out of an Invisible Man movie, where you know the man isn't the the lead character, the Invisible Man is the lead character, um, and then he just delivers like the the tension during the um, during the uh, kind of dinner scene with Elizabeth Moss, and I can't remember if it's her sister or friend, it's a sister, but, it's a sister, but that. That whole sequence, I don't know that any other filmmaker touched could pull that, that out. Sequence that that is so good, and it's such a film too. Now, The Invisible Man, where it's it's exciting because it's clear that like, oh, like keys to the castle. That's what we're giving Lee yes. Winnell now. Like that, like I'm sure that guy, you know, I, I I off the top of my head, I don't know what his next project is, but it is. I think he might be essentially just give, given the keys to the essentially universal monster. I think, I think he did. I think he got the keys to be the executive producer and creative director for the MonsterVerse for Universal. Yes, I think so. Yeah. So, I, and it's just you know, I, I, I certainly I don't think I'm on the the right person to speak to, um, kind of just the 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 female side of the Invisible Man and kind of what what's that what that is speaking to, to the, the female experience and, and, you know, um, kind of everything that that film kind of dives into, but it's just, it, it, it was another thing too, where that was like one of the last films we got before, before COVID, I think like that came out like second or third week of February. Um, Valentine's Day weekend, actually. Weird enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you know, we got another two weeks of releases and it was just like, oh, like what a tease that the 2020 <laughs> movie season gave us where it's just like, you know, because usually in January and February, we're dealing with just crap. And it's like, you know, Universal and Blumhouse were like, oh, we're going to deliver you, you know, one of your favorite movies of the year already. Like it, it I, I think even in a, in a stacked year, this would have made somewhere in my in my top five. To your, to your point, and I feel like that happened in 2017 with Get Out, and I feel like Universal is trying to change the way we look at January and February, because as you mentioned, mm-hmm. literally when you put a movie in January or February, most of us who, look, who like studies the movies and the trends, we're all like, fuck, all right, you're dumping this shit. All right, well, we're, we're just going to roll with it and see how it goes. And Warner Brothers did that with um, Judas and the Black Messiah this year, releasing it for a worldwide release. Um, HBO Max and yeah last year Invisible Man blew me out the water and I'm in this is how I watched it three times before yeah three <laughs> times before we before COVID-19 ramped up around this time last year I watched it on Valentine's Day 
uh, watched it on my mom's birthday, which is two weeks within two weeks of Valentine's Day. And then I watched it with some friends the first week of March. I was that's how great I felt the Invisible Man was. And like to your point, Invisible Man until November, I want to say, was my number one. It was literally my number one. And then, of course, we talk about it at the end of the year. They they just Disney and a couple of others we're going to talk about just ramped up. But yeah, Invisible Man was that rewatchable movie for me. And I think it still is. And to your point, it deals with a lot of like PTSD that unfortunately as a male, I can't handle with with being in an abusive relationship. But until I sit, we could talk about relationship abuse, but not in terms of woman's point of view. And having Elizabeth Moss portray that so well to who she becomes at the end of the movie was phenomenal. And in my personal opinion, the I call it the Hitchcock twist at the end of the movie that we got with this movie made it even that much better. And I think that basically put the footstep in saying, Lee, whatever movie you do next, I will be there the first weekend. <laughs> I will absolutely. 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 Now, with my number three, um, I know we're going to have to put a pause on it. I don't want to give it away just yet. But my number three, oh, no, no, we didn't. It's not on your list yet. My number two is, but we'll get there in a moment. My number three is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, I, what, what else is there to say about that? Um, Alex Foley's film, I mean, play adaptation of one of his plays that he's going to be doing, produced by Denzel Washington, who also did Alex Haley's um Phantom adaptation of Fences, which again was one of my favorite movies of 2016. It's again writing and the acting just is spot on. And again, I voted for Chadwick to basically win for Ma Rainey's Black Bond for the Golden Globes because he pulled off that role so well. And again, may he rest in peace. But he did that performance so well. Viola Davis did so well and everybody else around the film just did a, such of a well job and what's crazy to me is the play is usually about two and a half three hours long the movie is only an hour and a half and how they were able to cram everything in that hour and a half and again Alex, this is one of alex's shorter plays because if you watch fences you know you're looking at almost a four-hour ma- magnificent <laughs> epic that you're going to be watching but it still was so riveting that we only got an hour and a half of the play and it still felt like something that he wrote and everybody brought those characters to life so well and so fantastic in my personal opinion. I feel like that's why it had to be on my number three. Again, we're talking about writing and acting. I just think that that makes a movie, which we'll get into my number two. But yeah, <laughs> absolutely amazing. Loved it. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Uh, I know kind of whenever the Oscar nominations come out, those come out in like two weeks. Um, I'll start to then kind of chip away at the Oscar nominated films that I haven't seen yet. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to watching that one. Definitely recommend having it on your list. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then from there, what is your number two? Uh, my number two is is my documentary on the list, Boy State. Um, okay. Boy, oh boy, did this one just bowl me over with just one it taking place in Texas, like, and it, it was so, <laughs> so, um, so boy state is uh, essentially um, the Texas Legion brings, or the American Legion in, in various States brings a thousand boys, a thousand girls into then essentially like set up and run a government. Yeah. Um, and they're what 15, 16, is that correct? Um, I might be off on those ages. Uh, 15, and actually 15 to 17. Yes. 15 to 17. Okay. And, and so then the movie is just very much a, a fly on the wall um, with then um, 
kind of talking head interviews uh, with the various boys that are going through the program. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that just grounds the film so well, so quickly is the opening credits kind of gives you a snapshot of the various um, famous politicians that have gone through this program. program. So, you know, we're talking about former presidents, you know, secretaries of state, um, uh, defense uh, secretaries. And, and so then it gives that, that grounding of like, Oh, these kids are like, some of these kids might be important in the future. So this is our future. Um, And then we just, we are, we are, we are fly on the wall witness to these kids setting up a government, understanding what it means to like be a lying politician and a huckster. Um, You know, it's, it's so scary that the kids are so good at like projecting these, these, these roles. Um, It, it, it creeped me out and entertained me all at once. Uh, It is, I'm usually, and I'm not, I'm usually not at like a a documentary head. Like I don't sit around watching documentaries um, but this one just, just, I, I like, this was one of those documentaries I finished it. I was like, oh, I can't wait to like start messaging everybody on my, on my, on my dial here and just be like, gotta watch, you gotta watch Boy State, gotta watch Boy State. And to your point, when you sent me that text message <laughs> after you watched that, I said, <laughs> yeah. what is this movie he's talking about? And then I remember because, you know, being at UT, which dealing with UT right now is abysmal of itself and Texas abysmal of itself. Um, mm-hmm. We record this on a Wednesday when we find out about <laughs> Governor Abbott releasing the mass mandate. But again, we're not here to talk about that. Um, and watching that, I was, I will remember because, you know, during my summers at UT, I'm sitting there doing summer classes and helping with my friends with their film projects on UT, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, right there on campus, I know exactly where they go. I see these boys just walking around and walking up into the, like, the SAC, and I'm like, Student Activity Center, and I'm like, what the hell is all these high school kids doing? And then you realize what they're doing, and you realize that this program that they're in, and like you said, this documentary, was a fly on the wall and I feel like a little too close of a fly on the wall. And you literally see the minds of these kids, 15, 16, 17 years old. And again, I've only watched this film once, this documentary once. And one thing this kid said that I will never forget. And it's been implanted in my brain. One of the kids who won the governor, which is the biggest like position that you're getting at the end of this week with all these governor positions was like, I mean, no, no, not the governor, but he was an assistant to the governor trying to get his friend to win. Mm. He goes in and he does this sly Fox News type of situation where he gives up all these fallacies, gives up all of these, like, just starts digging at the content, I mean, at the opponent about things that they did throughout the week and how they were wrong about doing this and things like that. And it reminded me exactly of what happened with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton in 2016. And I was just like, is this kid knows exactly what he's doing? And mind you, the kid's 16. And he does it. And he says, I mean, do I feel bad about the decision I made? Kind of, but you got to do what you need to do, what it takes to win. And I feel like did my decision get us to win? Then Absolutely. I have no re- I have no regrets from what I did, and I'll do it again. And I sat there and was like, if this kid's 16 saying that, I can only imagine what a legislative politician is thinking about at 30, 40 years old, 50 years old, saying the exact same thing. And I'm just like, like you said, it's a real, I would say it was entertaining to watch these 15, 16, 17-year-old boys 
build a platform up from the ground up and build these governments and parties up from the ground up, but also seeing how they navigate those politicians to get what they need was just like scary on its own. And I agree with you. And I think that's why it was number, is it eight? Yeah, it's number eight on my list. And I sat there and was just like, this is beautiful, but (laughs) scary to see. And I can only imagine what's going to happen in 10 years from now when all these kids graduate from college Mm -hmm. and they're in their own legislative role. So I agree. Beautiful documentary. Should win documentary for for Oscars or even should be nominated, but whoo, scary. Very scary. I just want to say, yeah, 16 years now, let's say 20 years from now, I, I definitely want to see Stephen Garza run for president. That kid is just like <laughs> aspirational. Yes. Um, and yeah, and and Ben Ben Feinstein um, is just one of the like best villains of the year. And I mean, yes. he's, he's, a, he's a real person and it's, I guess, kind of sick to say he's a villain, but he's definitely a villain in the movie. And, <laughs> but he knows he's doing it like he knows he he knows that that's the role he's playing because that's what he could play like and i was gonna say he's the one who said that i believe correctly is he the one who said that quote i'm like yeah how did he and he's okay with that like absolutely okay with that i'm like i can only imagine what he's gonna do a couple of years down the road like absolutely i agree with you on that brett all right um, with that being in mind, and just my mind where our politics is going to go in a couple of years from now, um, my number two, and it's going to segue, I believe, into your number one, if I remember correctly, my number two is David Fincher's, I think, top five movie ever he ever directed, Mank. And I... I love it. I'm going to give a brief brief thing about it, and then I'm going to let you be able to it because it's your number one. Um, Mank, short for Mankiewicz, is the guy who wrote, or everybody historically knows, co-wrote and basically led the entire first draft of one of the greatest movies of all time, Citizen Kane. Um, and this dives into Mankiewicz's life leading up to Citizen Kane, which kind of helps you understand where he was going. And just for me, which I think helped this movie out even more for me or gave it even more uh, so say for it. I watched Citizen Kane three weeks before Mank and I watched it off of the spur of a moment. I was watching Turner Classic Movies. It was, um, was it North by Northwest or Rebecca? It was OG Rebecca, like, um, excuse me, Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca. And I'm sitting there, Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, this is a good film. (gasps) Citizen Kane is coming on next? (laughs) Bet. I need to watch it anyway before I watch Mank. Let's watch it. And Watching Citizen Kane and then watching Mankiewicz, you realize that this is a love, not even, I wouldn't call it just a love letter, but a recognizing of what led to Citizen Kane. And beautiful, I believe Gary Oldman did a phenomenal job. Amanda Seyfried, who I think should have won Best Supporting Actress, but we're not going to go there. Um, And just literally everything with the film just was so well done. And Yes, you're going to have to get away from the fact that it's black and white and there's a lot of witty dialogue that some people are just going to be like, I, I don't get it. But to see that and see how it's reflecting, again, like how I feel about Boys State, how this reflects our today's times and how we're dealing with what's going on now. Beautiful film. I enjoy, Mank. I'm going to stop. I'm going to let you talk more about it. <laughs> um. So I'm I'm just I'm a crazy Fincher head, uh, I, and I was a I was a, a very easy mark for this movie. Um, <laughs> love film history. I, I 
so yeah, film history and, and David Fincher uh, all day for me. Um, the movie, I think, I think gets a gets a bad rap from the fact that like it's it's Fincher having a little bit more kind of sediment than we're, we're used to, a little bit yeah. more heart. Um, certainly, we we all like kind of the kind of black heart tone of pessimistic, of most, yeah, brooding um, Fincher, yeah. But I, I think this film has more to talk about potentially than than some of um, his other you know great films. Um, I think there's there's a really interesting conversation to be had in this movie about even what Fincher thinks about the auteur theory. Like, yeah, I, I don't think that there's a definitive answer that he's giving. And I think it's it's very gray. And it's interesting then to think about that coming from Fincher, who everybody perceives as being an auteur um, exactly. and being an and being an auteur that doesn't write. I think that's also really important. I think I think the crediting on the on the screenplay is. Is, this is that you know, yeah. It well, and it and it speaks to then this conversation that Fincher wants to have about about auteurs. Um, I think there's you know the great there's a great segment in there um, about fake news and where yes. fake news really really started and and it's you know and then you have kind of the the you know populist and the socialist uh, conversations happening there um, all all kind of wrapped up into. Also, too, I think a film that everybody went in thinking we're going to have, you know, uh, Gary Oldman's Mank and um, Tom, or no, who was who who played uh, Tom Burke, uh, who played Orson Welles. Orson Welles, yeah. Everybody, yeah. everybody thought that it was just going to be a, a shouting match between them. I think, and going in and seeing that, oh, Orson Welles is only in the movie for like five seven minutes, minutes of screen, yeah. uh, screen time if that I, I i think is is super interesting um i also uh you know i, I think it's it's very peculiar that uh orson wells kind of looks like david fincher in the movie i i, I think it's <laughs> I, I wasn't I, the I only one okay i wasn't the only one <laughs> and, and i just i think there's all these things in this movie that that aren't accidents because nothing in fincher's frame is an accident no um and then yeah just the performances the camera work again we have an Atticus Ross and and Trent Reznor score that's just pitch perfect um I'm always a sucker for Charles Dance and Charles Dance is cast perfectly here um yes uh, Yes. uh, as Hearst and yeah really quick really quick not to stop you I'm sorry but my favorite one of my favorite scenes is when he's talking to Mankiewicz and his brother about the basically MGM and going through that whole thing and then says all that shit gets on stage it makes you feel so sentimental about what he says and it just bounces out and I'm like he literally just bullshitted all those people and everybody took it beautiful beautifully done but go ahead I'm sorry no and I, I just you know for me too like this is you know it's it's one of those films too where it's just you know granted this was with netflix but i mean again we're have a-list talent a-list director we, we didn't get a lot of those movies coming in to 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 uh 2020 where it's it's clearly you know everybody's at the top of their game and it's a it's a wide film like you know netflix would have put this probably out into you know five or a thousand screens um the week it came out yeah. Uh, and yeah, I just, I, I, and it, I, I certainly came out and I think that it had 
a similar effect to me on with, with tenant where I came out and I was kind of like, I don't know if I like loved that or liked it. And then on the second screen, I, I, you know, you just, you sink into it even more and, and I get into the rhythm even more. And, you know, it's, it's again, where, you know, I'm, I'm watching uh, Gary Oldman and, and Amanda Siegfried do kind of their walk and talk um, at the, the Hearst compound and just like, like, this is magical. Like who, who else has a sequence that isn't, isn't complicated, but so complicated and just, just pitch perfect. Um, yeah, I love make. I'm a sophomore. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's wrong with that. And I enjoy, and I was going to say, I enjoy a lot of what David Fincher did with this film. I, like I said, I think it's in his top five. Unfortunately, there's some way better films in my opinion that he does. Just again, like you said, I think, our definition of an auteur and what his definition of auteur, two completely different definitions. And he doesn't even give you, like you said, a, a definite answer on that. But you can definitely tell, and from at least my personal experience watching it twice already, and I think I need to watch it a third time just to give it some, not more amp, but just to solidify how I feel about the Oscars going in. He knows, the, he doesn't know the answers, but he's giving you the scope of where to like look or to like have perspective on things. Right. And one thing that I think a lot of people are, should realize from this film. And it's again, I think this movie gets a lot of crap for being black and white. And like I said, being witty, but again, I, and what's so crazy to me is like your point, he shows you exactly where fake news came from, from Hollywood. Hollywood did this to basically meet their own ends and gains. And they basically paid people to go do a fake ad. And to be honest, that and then just the the way Hollywood works in general and the backbone mm. of how Hollywood got you places where you wanted to be and how you got through certain things was just beautiful. And it's not scary to say, but it's like this is still going on 80 years later. And I feel like David Fincher did a phenomenal job of bringing that to life and bringing his own like, OK, am I an auteur? And with that being on there, is these people that I'm talking to who I consider idols, not idols, but I mm-hmm. basically influenced from and how many other directors in this genre, I mean, in our film society are taking, are they auteurs for believing these people are auteurs? Things like that, right? And it's a very, I wouldn't call it, I call it perplex. It's a very perplex definition that you're sitting there and it sits on you. And this movie sat on me for about three weeks after I watched it and I was just like, yeah, I don't know if I enjoyed it, like you said, but I need to watch it again, solidified it, watched it two more times after that, and I just enjoyed every moment of it. And I, David Fincher can't go wrong. I agree with you. Like, I'm not a David Fincher fanboy a lot, unfortunately. I don't have Social Network as my best film of the 2010s, <laughs> but it's still a great film. Um, but yeah, David Fincher is in his league at this point, and I love his creative decisions and his creative direction in this film. Love it. Absolutely mm. love it. Um, with that in mind, my number one film, um, which I think I'm not going to get flack on, but I think is really interesting that I put it as my number one and I watch it again to make sure it's my number one, One Night in Miami. Mm. Um, Regina King, to say that this is her first directorial debut and to do this film the way that she did was absolutely phenomenal. Um, for those who don't know, One Night in Miami is a fictional, I would call it fictional, it's an alleged night where Muhammad Ali wins his, his World Heavyweight Championship for the first time in 69. And basically him, 
um, Sam Cooke, Malcolm X, and Jim Brown are all in the night trying to figure out what they're going to do with, in terms of celebrating, which then becomes, like I said, it's alleged. We don't know if this actually happened, but like it becomes a night of redefining themselves and being into or quote unquote, not quote unquote, um, but being into history and learning about people's decisions during this time period and learning a lot about like historical black figures during that time kind of brought an eye to me. And I feel like, you know, it could have been done terribly, uh, to be honest, let's, let's put it there. I mean, no offense, love my man, loves my man. Will Smith Ali film was not like the best film ever, right? But you know, it was it was decent to give you the eyes and lenses of what Muhammad Ali was going through, or yeah. But with this, I feel like every single one of those men who played Malcolm X, Cassius Clay, or Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke did a phenomenal job, including Leslie Odom. I never, I, I think Leslie Odom is realizing that he could play a damn good villain. Um, again, <laughs> stage play of hamilton and then this he he does a damn good job of being the i call it the antagonist for malcolm x and what his ideology and i think that's what made this film so good is because you're sitting there wondering what would you do with a musician who has his own ip and his own masters what would you do with that with somebody who believes in the liberation of black people and somebody who's trying to get into that movement where there's a another prolific football player, the best, one of the arguably best running backs of all time, is just like, I'm doing my liberation my own way and I don't care about doing it somebody else's way. And I, I loved it. The writing, again, phenomenal. Acting was just spot on. And again, I think that goes with an actor who's been acting for as long as Regina has been doing it. And it's just, it was beautiful. I, I was mesmerized by it the entire time watched it twice and it solidified it being on my top spot like absolutely loved one night in man yeah uh it's it's definitely one of those where you know a and with an actor director not a not an actor acting in the movie director but regina king having a background in acting you just she gets such great performances out of out of each of these what i would say are four leads uh, essentially <laughs> yes um but they they all just feel authentic and lived in um and the dialogue just like you, you you're just taking on a ride and we're not going anywhere <laughs> we're just we're just hanging, just hanging we're just out hang, yeah we're just hanging out at the after party <laughs> um and you know i i think certainly i think the the you know you you mentioned leslie odom jr just who's you know we all know the man is just uber talented absolutely um, i think though this like so solidifies uh kingsley kingsley ben adir as just a movie star that guy is a movie star uh, yes. that guy will will carry you know event films in the future i completely agree with you on that and then um i was telling somebody this like Aldris Hodge, who I've seen only be in small bit pieces, this is going to help him kind of start getting into some roles and trying to get bigger. And then last person, Eli Gorey. I'm sorry. Again, all of us fans who grew up in the 90s and some of us who grew up in the age of millennials, I'm sorry. Will Smith is no longer my Cassius Clay, my mom, and I leave Eli <laughs> You listen to him. He does a fantastic job of putting up everything and personalities. But besides the point, it's like you said, it's a tour de force of seeing four men 
at the peak at the highlight of their powers trying to learn how to deal with each other for one night and again i don't know if this is accurate or not this is all alleged i know they all were with each other that night but we don't know to what extent they were but beautiful movie loved it um i highly recommend it um very very beautiful movie very yeah all that to say fantastic um and with that in note i guess that wraps up our list um I know, Brent, we've talked about it, and I don't know if you don't mind, but I feel like we're going to have to have one of these conversations about one of these movies at some point next weekend when we do our matinee talk episode. So I guess, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep our our audience suspended. We're not going to talk about what we're going to talk about for the matinee talk next week. You'll just have to listen to the episode. Anyways, with that in mind, um, again, Brent, thank you for coming on. Let the people know. If you want them to know about your letterbox, if you want them to know about your podcast that you have with Johnny Lightfoot and our co-host, definitely. The floor is yours. Have all the time. You uh, yeah, you can always find me. Hopefully, every day if if I'm if I'm staying active on a letterboxed um, Brett Leipziger, um, and on uh, the podcast that we we should be starting to ramp up here as as we're starting to see movies start to come out again. Theaters are starting to open back up. I think. Um, and uh, we're certainly having a bunch of HBO Max content to talk about, and that's uh, <laughs> if the armchair fits. Um, and yeah, hopefully we'll we'll have a have a interesting uh, 2021 movie season. I completely agree with you on that, Brett. Um, you'll see links for both if the armchair fits and Madden Talk on the description box. Like I said, both of them are going to have their own episodes, newly episodes. I think within the next two weeks, if I remember correctly. Yeah, within the next two weeks. I know Madden Talk will have one next week. Armchair Fish should have one, I think, a week, two weeks from there as well. So, so. stay tuned for that. You will see, definitely see those. Um, you know what? I'm going to tease you guys a little bit. I'm not giving out my letterbox. If you want to listen, find my letterbox, <laughs> I'm going to drop it on Matt Nate Talk or the Armchair Fish. So, watch for those two episodes. Um, so, with that in mind, again, Brett, thank you for coming on. Always love your film knowledge and what you bring to the table. So, again, you're always welcome to come on. I appreciate you. Uh, Thanks for thanks for letting me talk talk about film. <laughs> it's long overdue. <laughs> it is long overdue. So, without further ado, guys, thank you guys for joining us, and we'll see you guys next time. <laughs> <laughs>